Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. It's Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly and of course our former ITN journo turned punter Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now first up as we count down the weeks till the A-Leagues kick off on the domestic front, the Australia Cup has provided its usual feast of classics with not a disappointing quarterfinal among them. Heidelberg threw away a golden opportunity against the Melbourne Knights. The Metro Stars were very stiff not to jag an upset against Melbourne City. Ross Aloisi announced his arrival as the new manager of the Brisbane Raw with a convincing win over the Western Sydney Wanderers and improbably the least impressive match of the lot, unless you're a Sydney FC fan. The Sky Blues had a comfortable win on Sunday afternoon against Melbourne United to round it all out. We'll talk through it all and ahead to the semis with our friend from ESPN and the Guardian, Joey Lynch. Then we've followed Leicester City as something of a talisman for this show since we charted their title-winning season in 2015-16. But as many things rise, they also fall. And equally, we covered their inexorable decline until the drop at the end of last season. And while winning the Premier League shocked the world, what is not so much of a shock is how they're going about returning to the top flight with an undefeated start to the championship under former protégé of Pep Guardiola, Enzo Marasca. Of course, the Foxes' start to the season has not been good for everyone at the club. No sooner were we glorying in the return of a current Socceroo to the Premier League than they were relegated and our man Harry Suter has been shut out. The only person to talk to about all of this is one of our great mates and that is, of course, the Athletics' Rob Tanner, who we'll have a chat to soon. So, Edge, um, full-on show again. Um, probably be a little bit longer than our usual shows. We've got so much to, to jam in, mate. Uh, but uh, you, uh, you're you doing well over there in Bangkok? Yeah, I am, Rob. Hello to you and listeners uh, right around Australia and wherever you're tuning into us. Well, look, the last week has just been one of those weeks I've really loved diving deep into the football again. Obviously, the Australia Cup quarterfinals, we'll talk to Jerry about that. My mob, the Burgers, uh, uh, committed Harry Curry and uh, let go two-goal lead to, to go down to Melbourne Knights. Um, Premier League, um, Houdini acts there and the Milan Derby. It was all happening. Uh, I really enjoyed Tottenham's Houdini act. Um, Arsenal's stuttering, albeit winning form. Uh, it was good to see them get a win, but they didn't play well. And we've talked about that uh, Heidelberg stuff. So I'm looking really forward to talking to Joey Lynch, who's so knowledgeable on uh, A-League and Australia Cup stuff. I know it's his favourite competition, Rob. It is. And Derek, um, you're looking forward to a chat with Rob Tanner. I know you've done a, a little deep dive into the Foxes to prepare for, for this conversation, but it's a it's it's a unique story, isn't it, this club that um, will forever be that Hollywood story of going up and then we just watch the you know the train wreck as they eventually fell apart and, uh, and dropped down to the championship. But they're making a pretty good fist of their return early in the season. Yeah, I, I think it's important to know that the championship is still one of the most significant leagues in global football in terms of the quality of the league and the teams in it, the fans that, that go to the ground. It leaves a lot of other leagues around the world for dead, really. So while we are very Premier League focused on, on box-to-box uh, for a number of reasons, we shouldn't forget about this championship. And we've got that special bond with Rob. I think we're all invested in Leicester City yeah. in some way. And what they might do. So I'm looking forward to hearing what life is like for Leicester and Rob after the Premier League and how they're yeah. plotting their return. 
Yeah, it'd be good to have a chat to him real soon. Now, Willem's uh, taking the break off now. He loves his football, but he loves his football of another kind. So congratulations to Willem, a premiership player with his club uh, in the AFL. Uh, he's uh, having his mad Monday, isn't he, Edge? Uh, and, uh, geez, they, they got flogged by the very same team they won, they beat in the grand final by 80 points in the final round of the competition. And then in classic Muhammad Ali, Ropadope style, they came back and beat him in the grand final. Yeah, well, it's the Division 1 or four, the old 4th Division in the Amateurs, Victorian. Just indulge us, listeners. I know we're not an AFL program, but uh, Willem, who's been a big part of our show, he plays footy. We don't talk about it on the show at all, really. Um, I don't get back to Australia very often, so when I was last back there, he said to me, come on, Ed, you've got to come and watch me play footy. So I took some time aside. I went to see him, and it was the last round of the season. They were playing the second team, and... and um, I, I got the lucky team. Will get beaten by 100 points, but then yeah. they uh, they obviously lost the the first semi. Or part of the planage. That, that team, and then they, they they won the preliminary final, and then they played the team that had beat them twice in the last three weeks in the grand final and rolled them. and And I understand Willem had a great game, so uh, <laughs> we all got that beautiful photo with his uh, premiership medallion. And um, I don't think he'll be in great shape right about now, Rob. I think he would have had a big 48 hours. Yeah, no, it's uh, Monday evening, Mad Monday style, so I suspect Willem might be a little bit messy. Anyway, I'm going to do my best to roll out with the news uh, and and do him honour, so let's get stuck into it. So, look, great news in this past week, a, a red-letter year for Australian football. Four Matildas players, their coach Tony Gustafsson and Ange Postacoglu were all nominated for the Best FIFA Football Awards 2023. In the Best FIFA Women's Player category, Caitlin Ford, Mary Fowler and Sam Kerr were nominated. Mackenzie Arnold, a nominee for the Best women's goalkeeper. Football Australia CEO James Johnson rightfully chuffed. He said, I want to extend my hearty congratulations to Sam, Caitlin, Mary, Mackenzie, Ange and Tony on their respective nominations for these prestigious awards. So look, uh, in the full light of day, we, we've had highs and lows as you do in the game. Yeah, we were disappointed that the Matildas couldn't get a medal, but they finished fourth in the world in a home World Cup. They did well. And yes, they lost games throughout, but they won the ones that generally mattered to, to get themselves in that position. Um, our women are, are, are really a key part to the Women's Super League in the best women's competition in the world. Ange Postacoglu is just doing what Ange does. And um, and to Tony Gustafsson's credit, we were at times some of his biggest critics, but uh, uh, he, um, he he was able to walk away from that World Cup um, with his head held high. Certainly. And, and I must admit, you know, we look back at 2006, the golden generation of the Socceroos has been a a bit of a high watermark, but I'm now thinking, um, you know, this golden generation of Matildas, um, they've already, you know, beaten that high watermark. And I think the legacy of this team will last for a long time. And I know, because I work in the women's game, the talent that's starting to come through, it's going to be replenished. So mm-hmm. we might have some sustained success. So that's just a, an indication of those awards of just where we're at in the world football at the moment. And even on the men's side, I feel we're coming again. I feel like there's um, some real excitement for Socceroos. We'll talk about it in World Cup Corner. But, um, yeah, just this last week to 10 days, I've really started to feel super optimistic about um, Australia getting better performances on the global stage. And, you know, I guess that's uh, a lot of it is just the love that uh, Ange Postacoglu is getting. He's really flying the flag for our nation in such a massive way. 
Sure is. Uh, the A-League's controversial grand final sale to Sydney could be reversed in a move that has the potential to mend fractured relationships between the struggling competition and angry fans. Reporting in the Sydney Morning Herald last week, Vince Regari wrote, according to sources with knowledge of the discussions who were not authorised to speak publicly due to the sensitivity of the matter, the New South Wales government and the Australian professional leagues are in talks to scrap the remainder of the $12 million three-year deal that guaranteed Sydney would host the men's and women's grand final through to 2025. Yeah, it's interesting article. And obviously, you know, Vince is on the money. We don't uh, ever disbelieve anything that he publishes in uh, the City Morning Herald and the Melbourne Age. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Look, common sense. Um, as much as the club owners want the money that Destination New South Wales had dropped into the game, they were committing uh, suicide by persisting with this strategy because there was just such a grand swell of negative negative sentiment towards it. In fact, it was turning people away from the game. So um, I think it's a, a good strategy, whoever's behind it, to, to unwind that deal. And I think the New South Wales government, yeah, they might dodge a ball here too, because they were going to get some negative sentiment um, out of this as well. And uh, we need to go back to one of the real unique components or, or, or factors of our game or, or highlights of our game is that if you do finish on top of the ladder and qualify for the grand final, you get to host it. None yep. of the other big leagues do that. Uh, let's get back to that. Let's get on with uh, growing the game. Yeah, and, um, and another part to that story. There's a part of the discussion that, that might end up with a, a magic round of sorts that New South Wales picks up as a result of the unwinding of this deal. But more to come on that. We've got to get Vince on to, to have a chat about it. Now, in the Australia Cup quarterfinals this past week, Ross Aloisi's start at Brisbane just keeps getting better with a 4-2 win over the Western Sydney Wanderers. Heidelberg gave up a 2-0 lead against the Melbourne Knights in a stoppage time heartbreaker. The Metro Stars were similarly crestfallen after leading Melbourne City for most of the game in what was looking like an epic cup set only for the Sky Blues to grab a late equaliser and controversial penalty in time added on and Sydney FC beat Western United. We're going to talk a lot more about that in detail with Joey Lynch after the break. Now, we mentioned him earlier, about a week out from his first North London derby against Arsenal, Ange Postacoglu Spurs came from 1-0 down to win a thriller 2-1 with Richarlison, who had yet to fire under the new gaffer, and in a week where he disclosed he'd be seeking psychological help to deal with personal issues in his life, became the super sub, scoring the equaliser and setting up the winner. It was it was a classic Premier League showcase weekend, returning from the international break with the champions. Manchester City flexing their muscles to come from behind away against West Ham. Liverpool doing the same against Wolves and Eddie Howe easing some pressure at home with a hard-earned win against Bredfin. And of course, the Gunners broke the Goodison Park hoodoo. But in what Phil McNulty from the BBC described as a dreadful performance from Everton, lacking in cohesion, creativity or the slightest piece of attacking quality, Derek, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Arsenal beat what they had to there. Everton were far from impressive uh, in, in the game. And, you know, in the midst of uh, takeover talks, you, you do, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to be an Everton fan right about now. Look, Arsenal, I think, as Edge said off the top, uh, I've not hit their straps yet. You know, the fact that they've got 13 points out of a possible 15 and we've not hit our straps is a, potentially a, a really. A really good thing and uh yeah look city obviously five from five look absolutely imperious at the top they are definitely setting the standard and it is the like to the likes of liverpool arsenal and yes spurs uh to, to try and keep pace with them and, and obviously next weekend's uh north london derby will be 
critical. Arsenal usually have the best of that game, but you've got a very a red hot Spurs team coming in against a, an Arsenal team that are maybe not clicking. So I'll, you know, I don't think it's a, a lay down for for Arsenal that one. It will be a, you know a very exciting game to watch. Well, keen-eared listeners will have noticed you've really dialed back expectations. You've said a red hot Spurs who took till ten minutes into stoppage time to beat Sheffield United. And um, and Arsenal, um, who nearly won the Premier League last year, I think um, I would question your uh, observations on that. You're grinning there, Michael. What have you got to say? Well, just wait and see what happens with the game. I think Derek's just giving his analysis in a straightforward <laughs> way and you're trying to needle and bait him. I mean, you just worry about Liverpool, brother. <laughs> God, I'm surrounded. And Adam Maloney pressing the buttons, his arsenal. It's the pincer movement times three. Now, in the Bundesliga, Harry Kane scored his 300th career club goal. In a thriller in the Bundesliga, Harry headed in his fourth goal in four Bundesliga matches, which made him the first Bayern player to score four goals in his first four Bundesliga games since Miroslav Klosar. In 2007, I love that name. The result leaves them in second place behind Leverkusen on goal difference. In La Liga, Barcelona thumped Real Betis to go top of the competition and extend their unbeaten run to five matches. Portugal forward Jao Felix, who was on the loan from Atletico Madrid, scored his first Barcelona goal in an impressive display at the new Camp. Barcelona a point ahead of Real Madrid, who hosts Real Sociedad on Monday. It's City R. Inter, as Edge mentioned off the top of the show, continued their perfect start to the season as they thrashed AC Milan 5-1 in the Derby della Madonnina. Inter are top of City R with 12 points from four games. Milan a third on nine. Juventus second with three points, extending their unbeaten run with a 3-1 victory over Lazio earlier. And the winners of last season, Scudetto, under a new manager. Napoli are sitting in the, well, just in the top five uh, on goal difference. Now, Matildas in soccer is central for the Green and Gold Army. Loads of Aussies in action and many will be in the squad ahead of the matches against England and New Zealand in London, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Uh, they'll, of course, have ambitions edge to head to Qatar for the Asian Cup. If you want to join them, head to ggatravel.com.au. Uh, uh, have you still got room on the bus, Edge, to, to go to this London trip? It's going to be a, an absolute ripper. Yeah, we've still got a room on the bus for London and uh, we're launching the Asian Cup stuff uh, in the next uh, four or five days as well. So lots to look forward to for Socceroos fans. And what about Connor Metcalf's goal? What about his goal for St Pauli? Yes, and you're doing you're doing to me what you do to Willem, aren't you? Because I've got that in my little Socceroos Central rap and you've already stolen my thunder. So, yes, Conor Metcalf did score a wonderful goal, which I'll get to in a moment, Michael. <laughs> okay, but see, look, here you are bagging me for having a pop at uh, Derek uh, for Arsenal and I'm leading with Arsenal in, in this uh, chat uh, because the big news in the Women's Super League, which kicks off in two weeks, is that Arsenal have completed the signing of Kyra Cooney-Cross from Swedish side Hammerby IF. As we all know, the 21-year-old midfielder impressed in the World Cup, starting in all seven of the Matildas matches as they finished fourth on home soil. She arrived at Hammerby for a Melbourne victory in 2022, made 30 appearances, including helping the club win last season's Swedish club. So great signing, uh, Edge. Uh, she says they felt just right the moment uh, that she heard about their interest. And uh, and the manager, Jonas Eideval, uh, says she's one of the best young players in world football and we are delighted. Her passing ability, explosiveness, they'll allow her to affect games in ways you rarely see from a young player. So that's a pretty big wrap. Uh, it's huge news for Kyra. She's a, 
she's a great kid, uh, a great woman, I should say. And um, well done, Kyra Cooney Cross. You've done well. But the, I thought the the narrative behind this was amazing because uh, Ian Wright. We, I mean, Derek will know all about this because uh, Derek and I. Uh, we know, we follow Ian Wright on all the media, but he got behind Kyra Cooney Cross, didn't he, Derek? And um, there was this great photo on the day that uh, Cooney Cross was rolled out by Arsenal of Ian Wright, on his, posted on his Instagram in the supermarket, picking up the uh, the deli meat and the uh, and the vegetables in an Arsenal top with Cooney Cross 22 on the back of it. It was magic, wasn't it, Derek? Certainly is, and I do feel like there's a bit of a theme going on at Arsenal, ladies. There seems to be a lot of Aussies, there's a lot of uh, a lot of Swedes there as well. So I think that's leaning to managers past and present. And I think you know Arsenal are, you know, I think it's a good thing if you're bringing in players from different nations that are used to playing with each other. I think I think that's a really good strategy. You know, Arsenal did it under Wenger with the the French and the African players. I think it's a good strategy. So yeah, well, welcome. Kyra, uh, I'm glad Ian is uh, enthusiastic about it. And, uh, yeah, the more more Aussies in that Arsenal team, the better, I say. Well, I think he spoke to a few people about getting a row from it at the club. He liked her performances at the World Cup so much, and he followed through with all sorts of stuff on social media. And there's a great – if you get a chance, have a look at the uh, Matilda's social media. There's a great little interview with Kyra explaining how um, that she had, had quite regular communication with Ian right through the World Cup via social media, and they never met each other. So how good's that? Outstanding. Now, in breaking news in Socceroo Central, Edge, guess what? Connor Metcalf, he opened the scoring at St Pauli as they routed third place. The whole steam kid. excited about that, uh, and uh, I'm sure Derek's in the highlights too, is that he mm. hit the thunderbolt from about Yes. Well, you, well, you're stealing my copy, mate. Why don't you just take over? Uh, they beat Holstein Kiel 5-1, but they're third on the ladder in the German uh, two Bundesliga on Sunday. It leaves them on 10.6 points shy of Dusseldorf and Hamburger SV, but as we all know, the captain of uh, St Pauli, Jackson Irvine, he'll be sidelined for what the club described as the foreseeable future. But sources close to box to box are suggesting it looks like four weeks um, after suffering a good source too. Yeah, it is. Hello, Danielle, um, and she did give me permission to to mention that. But she did say, you know, injuries, um, so you got to watch out for it. So she's passed on our best wishes and all of the best wishes of Australian footballing fans. So it was a torn lateral ligament um, in the two all draw against Mexico. He left on a stretcher. Uh, look, it didn't necessarily look like it was the fault of the pitch. It was the sort of thing that could happen on any pitch. But, you know, you put two and two together, uh, which is unfortunate. So St Pauli, despite their unbeaten start to the season, are six points off the pass in ninth after back-to-back draws following their opening season win. So we'll wrap it up. There's a lot more uh, if you want to get online to uh, to the GGA website uh, on Socceroos and uh, Matilda Central. But uh, we can't let this uh, little story pass. Garen Kowal netted his maiden goal for FC Volendam in their 3-1 loss to Fortuna Sittard in the Dutch Eredivisie on Saturday. Kual, who is on a season-long loan from Newcastle United, put Volendam ahead with his curling shot into the top corner from the edge of the penalty box in the 40th minute. So if Eddie Howe can't uh, continue to get a tune um, out of Newcastle, we might just see another Australian in the top flight um, before the season is out. Hopefully. And there was a beautiful goal and um, he's developing nicely. These players are coming, I tell you. What are they coming, these guys? Socceroos. Asian mm. Cup, I'm excited. We're going to Beautiful. Do okay. Okay, all right. Let's wrap it up. We've got some big chats to come with Joey Lynch next uh, about the Australian Cup and some transfer news as well. And we'll talk to Rob Tanner a little bit later. That's all coming up on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. As we know, it's about four or five weeks away till the A-Leagues kick off. The women's uh, get its standalone week and then five weeks' time the men's kick off. But we've been really enjoying the Australia Cup, the former FFA Cup, as we know. It, over the weekend, provided its usual feast of classics and, uh, well, probably one that was a, a little bit uh, off script, the, uh, the Sydney FC Melbourne United one, but there were three other excellent games. And to chat about it, our good friend uh, from ESPN, the Guardian, a whole bunch of other excellent sporting football locations. Joey Lynch, how are you, Joey? I'm going well. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah, mate. Uh, so, Joey, um, the uh, I, I think the only thing disappointing about the Australia Cup is that it doesn't have a broader sporting appeal uh, just yet, uh, outside of the bubble of football fans. Uh, admittedly, it's uh, reaching its crescendo as the uh, the other codes, uh, the NRL, AFL, reach their peak. But for anybody who made the effort to watch those games over the course of the last uh, four or five days, they were really treated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's my favourite competition in all of Australian football. I just really love the, uh, the general vibe of like the entire football pyramid being interconnected. And it's something that offers a complete differentiation in the Australian sporting calendar for, I guess, anybody that wants to pay attention. You know, you've got your semi-professionals, occasionally even your state league sides, let alone NPL sides, getting a chance to go up against full-time professionals from the A-leagues. There's no other competition that offers that. You can't go and watch Australian rules or rugby league or rugby union and see the pros at the highest level actually competing in a competitive environment with a trophy on the line against, you know, your your local heroes, as it were. So I think for anybody that does want to pay attention, I think it's a magnificent competition. And we did see, I mean, we almost saw one cup set in um in the quarterfinals, poor Metro Stars pushing Melbourne City all the way. But um, we've at least got one member federation side into the final four in this open draw. And, well, Melbourne Knights, they, they get the Brisbane Raw. Who knows uh, what Ben Khan's side can pull off. Uh, Joey, let's talk about Melbourne Knights. They haven't faced any A-League clubs in the three matches that they've won to date. They beat Lions FC, a NPL Queensland team, Campbelltown City and Crosstown NPL rivals and former NSL rivals, Heidelberg United. It was a classic cup game, wasn't it? The Burgers got out of the gates fast. Uh, two of their veterans and real superstars, Zara and Shepard, got on, got scored two good goals. Well, they were very good goals. Um, and then, um, you know, the Knights made a comeback. There was a send-off late. But what did you make of that game? And can the Melbourne Knights realistically um, put up some stiff competition and, you know, potentially nick a win against Brisbane? Uh, for, for the vast swathes of the game, it sort of had the vibes of another uh, George Katsakis masterclass. Of course, long-time followers of the FFA Cup slash Australia Cup will be familiar with Heidelberg United's runs in the past and followers of Victorian football will know that Heidelberg United, they didn't play finals this year. Their league form hasn't been the best in the last few seasons, but in a one-off game, their coach, George Katsakis, who I spoke to him after the game and he says he's coming back next year, which would make it 19 years at Heidelberg United. In a one-off game, nobody seems to be able to get their side up and ready to go better than George Katsakis. And when they raced out, to that two-goal lead, you, you got the vibes that, right, this is it. 
Heidelberg may find a way to win games like this and they're going to see it through. So you have to give absolute credit to the Melbourne Knights. Gian Albano getting one back in the 29th obviously helps, but playing right to the final whistle, they kept coming. The Melbourne Knights... For people that haven't been paying attention to Victorian football this season, they've undergone a complete rejuvenation um, under Ben Kahn, um, former Central Coast Mariners youth coach who spent several seasons at Olympic um, in the NPL Queensland competition. They've come down here and they play really good football. They want the ball. Um, I think they almost had 70% possession against Heidelberg. They want the ball. They play passing football. They actually try to, you know, do things with it. It's not just a kick and rush style, um, which meant that they were good value, I think, for their comeback, as cruel as it was for Heidelberg United. But it also presents a really intriguing game against the Brisbane Roar, I reckon, because when they are coming up against this Knights side, the Knights are going to try to give them a game of football in all likelihood. They're not going to try to kick Brisbane Roar off the park there. They might be forced to play in transition and sit back, but that's not going to be their intent coming out of the gate. So it's really going to be a back and forth battle between an A-League side who would ostensibly have the advantage when it came to talent and professionalism and the like against an NPL side that, well, Melbourne Knights, they're a very proud club. We know that. They um, invested heavily in this squad this year. They invested in bringing Ben Kahn down from Queensland who carry themselves with a lot of pride. So I'm going to be really interested in to see how it actually works out between an NPL side who's going to try to play football against an A-League side. It's going to be really interesting to see as opposed to just kick and rush. Yeah, George Katakis, 19 years in charge of the Burgers. Gee, my time with the Burgers, the uh, coaches were lucky to last six months, Joey. So uh, George Katakis, and what a, what a family name at that club. Amazing. Just shows you what stability can do. They've had a remarkable degree of success over the last decade um, uh, with the leadership of that club. But anyway, Melbourne Knights, they've got, to, they've got to beat Brisbane Raw. But Brisbane Raw, they found someone, 18-year-old striker Thomas Waddington. He scored two goals in three appearances. He looks pretty handy. I know they've got a, another attacker there announcing shortly. But um, Brisbane Raw, you know, you've got to say they've been quite, um, quite good in all of their games and they've looked sharp. Mm. They have, I guess, been the surprise packet from this uh, Australia Cup thus far. Ross Aloisi comes in. They didn't really recruit a lot of, you know, maybe high-profile names. Obviously, they brought in um, Florin Berenier from Melbourne City. But there was a lot of maybe questions about, all right, how will this side go? There was, of course, some um, changes in the in the um, executive as well um, coming in. So we weren't really sure what to expect from them. And, then, and thus far... I guess the the signs do look promising. Ross Aloisi, he's certainly done his apprenticeship. He's gone overseas and spent time as an, as an assistant at Yokohama and the like. So he's come back now and it's I guess it's a good job for an ambitious coach because let's face it, for a long time now, Brisbane Raw haven't been good. They haven't been li- living up to that famous reputation that they developed. So one might make the case that the only way is up here for Brisbane Raw. So it's a good good opportunity for an ambitious coach to come in and put their stamp on it. Of course, if you were to look at the remaining three A-League, A-League men's sides in this competition and say, all right, who's this year's MacArthur who are going to flatter to deceive with their um, Australia Cup form? At the moment, you'd probably say it's Brisbane Raw, given that we have seen Sydney FC and Melbourne City do it in the past. But 
of course, very different circumstances. And, you know, looking forward to seeing how Ross Aloisi goes when he comes down here to Victoria. Both games are going to be down here in Melbourne. So get a chance to, I'll get a chance at least to go out and see the, uh, the R Aloisi revolution um, in the flesh for the first time. And Brisbane, it is a little bit exciting up there. There's been a lot of change off the field and the, the administrative partnership of Casper Tafter and Zach Anderson seems to be, um, you know, putting a lot of energy and, and focus. And and there's some great stories there and none better than Quinn McNichol, the 15-year-old, who is the nephew of Brian McNichol, who played obviously so well for Heidelberg in the NSL and and also uh, Brunswick Juventus and Gippsland Falcons. So some interesting storylines there. Another um, another name from NSL days emerging in the A-League. Let's talk about uh, Sydney FC. Um, they, uh, they've they marched through the tournament uh, pretty comfortably too, and they've got a young fellow who's been uh, scoring. He scored three goals in three games, Patrick Wood. He's been around a little while. Um, he did get some games early in the A-League season last year. Uh, but what do you make of Patrick Wood, and can he emerge as a regular a regular player for Sydney FC this season? Well, I guess it's been good to see Patrick Wood, you know, sort of coming through and really banging in the goals in this Australia Cup because... We've seen Sydney FC go out and recruit Fabio Gomez this offseason, the Brazilian striker. So generally, when you are investing in a foreign striker, a foreign attacker, you're doing so with the intention of starting them. They don't come cheap, albeit um, this Brazilian attacker's on loan, I believe. But So Patrick Wood really needed to come in with a positive start to sort of like stamp his name and say, well, listen, I know you've invested in this other bloke, but the way I'm playing, you can't afford to drop me right now. And that's what we really want our um, Australian young talent to be doing. We want to see them come through like that. So it's been great to see from him. And I think as silverware really is going to, is really important to Sydney FC as a whole, really. Obviously, Steve Corica has come under pressure over the past few years. There's been questions about his ongoing tenure, whether or not he has scratched the limits of his potential at the Sky Blues. And I mean, yet again, of course, we have to acknowledge that, that the Australia Cup trophy in and of itself um, is not a panacea. Look at MacArthur last season. An early season trophy would certainly go a long way um, to maybe keeping uh, Bimby's seat cool for at least a, li- a little bit longer in the A-League men's season and give Sydney reason to believe that they will be back amongst the favourites this coming A-League men campaign. And they must give themselves a chance against Melbourne City because uh, Melbourne City, uh, after last year, their midfield has been decimated. No Barisha, no Tilio, no Beringer. You mentioned he went to Brisbane. Van der Veen is gone as well. But they recruited uh, Tolgay Arslan from Udinese and, and Hamza Saki. They looked quite uh, impressive together as a midfield pairing against Metro Stars. And it was really those two guys who got City over the line. And considering that there was no Leckie, McLaren and Naboot, um, Melbourne City, uh, Sydney might think they've got a chance to get them um, in this final, even though it's down here in Melbourne. I think Sydney will need to put out an impressive performance. I can't remember the exact date, but I think it's been several years since Sydney have actually come down to Melbourne and beaten City. But yeah, it's going to be, you sort of don't know what to make of Melbourne City thus far. Obviously, they've recruited on paper, we, you always have to make that disclaimer in the A-League because we have seen very talented players come to the A-League in the past and not live up to their billing. But on paper, they have recruited impressively, especially their overseas signings at a time when the rest of the league really aren't making too many splashes on that front. City have gone out 
as you would expect from a side with the resources uh, um, handed down to them by the City Football Group and the scouting resources available to them. Um, but it's all got to come together on the field. And we also need to see how they'll respond after what was a 6-1 shellacking in the grand final um, as well, really uh, exposing perhaps a few of their problems um, in that side and did that provide a blueprint for opposition teams to beat them. Now, over the course of a regular season, the sheer depth of talent at their disposal and the resources, um, I mean, we we saw Andrew Nabut gets ruled out with an Achilles injury and then they just go out and bring in another Brazilian on the final day of the window um, online to replace him just like that. So we've seen what they can do. Um, so one would be backing them over the course of a, an entire A-League men's season um, to be right up amongst it again, purely based off depth and talent and skill. But in these one-off games, these Australia Cup games, finals football, when that rolls around again, you know, have they found a way to win these games? Of course, it's been quite a while since they won their lone Australia Cup. It was before um, the Mombats revolution swept the club and, well, they've made the past four grand finals and only won one of them. <laughs> so it, it could potentially be coming into this Australia Cup Final Four. It, silverware, of course, could be very big for City's mindset as well, purely so they can go out and tell themselves, let alone the rest of the public, that, hey, you know, one-off games. We can win these things. We can win trophies in finals, so to speak. And what do you think about um, the windows closed? So what can you tell us some highlights from the transfer window? Um, who should fans of the A-League be looking for uh, who's coming into the competition this year? Because there's been an exodus of uh, all sorts of talent. But um, from your top line, look at the transfer window, Joey. Who do you think will be coming in? Well, I mean, there's a few. One of the ones that I'm very excited about, it, technically he's you know coming in from overseas, but we have seen him before, Daniel Pena, um, who's come back and is signed with uh, Western United after a spell um, overseas. Technically, he's on loan from um, parent club Atletico Mineiro, but we saw what he, he was he was able to do at the Jets, just how exciting um, he was, especially when he would just decide, bugger it, goals in that direction, I'm going to have a ping. Um, so I'm really excited to see him back in the league and providing some entertainment. Um, interested as well to see um, Marcus Antonsen, who signed um, with Western Sydney Wanderers, scored a couple of goals in the Australia Cup, albeit um, that ended in defeat um, for them against Brisbane Raw. But they've brought in another foreign attacker and they've just announced the signing of um, Jorrit Hendricks from Fortuna Dusseldorf, who's played over 100 games in the Eredivisie and he's coming in at a good age. So Western Sydney Wanderers may be joining Melbourne City as one of those sides that has actually recruited very well um, in the off-season, particularly with their foreign stocks. Um, interested to see how Daniel Arzani goes, moving down from MacArthur to Melbourne Victory, because I'm sort of seeing a bit of few parallels between the Arzani move and when Melbourne Victory brought Nick D'Agostino into the club. If you'll remember, Arzani's never played under Tony Popovich before, so it's not a perfect comparison. But I remember back when Popovich had um, D'Agostino at Perth and he benched him for being out of shape and not training hard enough. And then he brought him into victory anyway. And we saw the transformation that Nick D'Agostino had under Popovich at Perth and Melbourne victory, turned him into a Socceroos attacker, got him an overseas move. So can um, Daniel Arzani 
find playing shape? Can he find form and fitness under Tony Popovich at Melbourne Victory? That's going to be an interesting one for me to see. Of course, the biggest outbound move, in my opinion, and still one of the most perplexing ones, is Craig Goodwin. Um, very abruptly leaving Adelaide United. And if you're looking at Craig Goodwin's statements and some of the social media commentary from um, people in the know in Adelaide and some of the comments that his partner has posted on social media, it doesn't sound like it was the cleanest um, of breaks. I mean, the man's literally printed on Adelaide United membership cards and now he's playing in Saudi Arabia. So whatever happens there didn't doesn't sound like it was a clean, happy break. And now Adelaide... Having hardly, well, they haven't really recruited anybody. And now they've got to go about things without the reigning Johnny Warren medalist who provided such attacking drive for them. A lot of the time, Adelaide's um, play last season um, devolved into either moments of inspiration from the likes of Goodwin or um, off the bench Nestor Iran Kunda, or it was just cross and inshallah. And often Craig Goodwin was providing in those crosses. So without him... Very interested to see how the Adelaide attack functions. And one to close, Joey, any uh, fearless predictions for the... Uh, well, let's say that we're talking about the men's uh, competition right now, the men's uh, A-League season ahead. Uh, Melbourne victory, for example. Sake, you mentioned Daniel Arzani. Uh, you know, Tony Popovich doesn't get them firing. Uh, he surely can't last uh, the entire season. Well, he is in the final year of his contract. And we all... We have... So ostensibly the price of buying him out, I guess, is, isn't less, but at the same time, in the last season of his contract, do you just pull the trigger or um, let him see out the season? Of course, I I do, however, I'm not going to do anything silly like predict an, unpre- uh, predict an undefeated campaign or anything, but I, I, I think Melbourne Victory will play finals this season. Um, you look at the fundamentals of them last year. I did an article for ESPN that came out on Monday and, Defensively, their expected goals against was actually the best in the A-League men um, last season. So fundamentally, the foundations are there for them to at least be a top six side. So I think they'll play finals. Um, I guess if I had to make... I don't like going too pushing the boat out too far, but if I had to make some sort of vaguely outlandish scenario, I would say Western Sydney Wanderers in the grand final. Okay. Well, that's not too outlandish. They finished fourth last year and, uh, you know, they're perennially competitive. They started to show something last year. So uh, the um, A-League is good when the the Wanderers are firing and all the colour out at Parramatta Stadium uh, is uh, is, uh, in play, mate. So hope. Hopefully, you're right on both counts because they're two pretty big clubs and we need them uh, going well. But then again, we need the smaller clubs, the MacArthur FCs and the Western Uniteds and the likes of them to continue to do well so they can you know, grow their uh, their audience and fan base too. So that's about five weeks away, mate. We'll talk to you before that all starts. Thanks for coming on again, Joey, and uh, stay well, brother. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. ESPN, The Guardian, anywhere you read good football copy, you'll find Joey Lynch. Okay, after the break, we are going to talk for the first time in a little while to one of our great mates on box to box He was here when we first started back in 2015 when we charted the rise of uh, the Leicester City Foxes and, uh, and now he's, uh, well, they're back in the championship. But they may not be there for too long if the kind of form that they're showing in the early season is anything to go by. Of course, that's Rob Tanner from The Athletic next on box to box Hey, hey, it's time to talk Chemist Warehouse. Now, we talked about this last week. It's not the around ball footy finals. It's the oval ball, which we love on this show still. And you can celebrate footy finals right now at Chemist Warehouse with big savings on vitamins. Now, Derek, you were at the G 
Now, you're a football man through and through, and you've seen some mighty games at Highbury and some of the great cathedrals of sport around the world. But how do you rate that night at the MCG with Carlton coming home in that final mayor beating Melbourne in, a, in what is this, an instant classic? Oh, it was phenomenal. Probably the, the best uh, sporting occasion that I've been at since I arrived in Australia 10 years ago. It was a first-class product, first-class crowd, uh, an atmosphere buzzing after the game. And, of course, yeah, I did see plenty of Chemist Warehouse coverage around the stadium, so a bit being reminded that uh, they are the place to go if you, uh, if you need, uh, need all of the stuff that they sell. Exactly, and Mario Tascone, he was over there in New York and uh, coming back to Australia, he is the number one ticket holder, metaphorically speaking for Carlton, and absolutely fizzing it as uh, every Carlton fan was. But there are half-price brands on all the big brand vitamin names at Chemist Warehouse right now. So you want to get on in there to get your Swiss, your Caruso, Go Healthy, Henry Blooms, Naturopathica, Biogland and Wagner. There's also half price on Microgenics, Ethical Nutrients, Thompson's Nature's Own and Nature's Way excludes bulk sizes. Now remember, in addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time. So Edge, you can order online to have your bundle for next time you're back in Australia. I can, that's right. I can get it all ready and uh, I just need to uh, pick it up and put it in my case like I do every time I'm back in Australia. Get the first aid kit, the little kit that I carry, carry around with all, mm-hmm. all the goodies from Chemist Warehouse. Seriously, the, the stuff over mm-hmm. here is a little bit more expensive than Australia, so Chemist Warehouse is is a, is a destination for me to fill up on uh, all those bits and pieces. Of course, and I'm sorry I can't offer you fast delivery for same day home delivery from Australia to Bangkok, but when you get back home, you can get it here. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, great savings uh, every single day. Chemist Warehouse, to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, I mentioned off the top of the show that uh, back in 2015 when we started this show, little did we know that we were joining uh, a what became a history-making run for Leicester City. And we found in Leicester City a a football writer for the then Leicester Mercury who was charting their rise and he stuck with us all the way through and he's stuck with us ever since. He's now with The Athletic and I speak, of course, of none other than our good mate Rob Tanner. How are you, Rob? I'm good, guys. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Hey, Rob, we, we did, and we've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks, uh, that we've been meaning to get you on, but there was the small matter of the Women's World Cup in the way that we oh. we had to cover. So uh, so if we had our time again, uh, we would have had this conversation pre-season. But uh, look, the good news is good, um, and uh, we're going to expand on that a little later for the club generally under Enzo Maresca. But What's not so good from an Australian point of view is that we've had a dearth of players in the top flight for many, many years. We finally get one. His club gets relegated. And then in their uh, efforts to, to fight back uh, to the top flight, he can't get a start. And uh, we're speaking of Harry Sutar. So, Rob, before we, we deep dive into the club itself and, and the Foxes' fortunes in the championship so far, could you give us a bit of an insight into you know what's going on behind the scenes with Maresca? Um, is this, uh, as Derek described, uh, a set of golden handcuffs that it's around Harry Sutar's uh, wrists, and, uh, and and they need to get let, let him go to get the uh, um, to get the, the money back into the club and buy some other players, or does Maresca just not rate him? What, what do you know? Yeah, I mean, he's, it's unfortunate for Harry and for Victor Christensen who both came in at the same time in January when Brendan was the manager and. 
both featured quite prominently. Unfortunately, they weren't able to, to to help the team stay in the Premier League, and and they're in the situation they're in now because a new man has come in and he has his own views on what he wants in his team. It's a totally different way of playing. Uh, it's a possession based. I mean, they've they, they've been averaging before the Southampton game sixty five percent possession. So he wants his defenders to to be excellent on the ball, and I actually think Harry is quite good on the ball. Um, but he's not even featured on the bench. He's just been totally out in the cold. And we were expecting him to move on, transfer deadline day. Um, there was a lot of talk about Rangers coming in for him, but that uh, didn't happen. Now, I'm, I've been told by one source that um, Harry's determined to fight him for his place. He wants to stay at Leicester City and, and, and be a part of this. <clears throat> now, if by January he's still not anywhere near the team, then... Um, then he's going to have to have a, a rethink and, and for the sake of his own career, he'll have to look at some options for a loan in January for the rest of the season because it's so important that he plays. Um, he's a big lad, you know, he needs that fitness level. Um, as you saw from the performance for the national team, you know, he's, he is a little bit rusty at the moment um, and he's not really featured in pre-season, let alone in the season itself. So he's, he's lacking pitch time. So to, to get back to the levels that, and, and to... Um, ultimately entice a new club you know he needs to be playing he needs to be showing them what he can do so we'll see what happens over the next few few months but I can't see his situation changing too much especially with Connor Cody coming back from injury Mm, yeah, I guess the, the advantage um, that he does have is that he's a starting player for the national side uh, uh, when he is fit, regardless of whether he's playing club football. And as you know, that many of the, the second and third tier football nations uh, don't get the luxury of picking players from top flights uh, around the world. They're usually going for, for sort of minor tier clubs and, and, and tier two competitions. And uh, Harry, when he did that ACL uh and was out for Stoke for all that time. He, he hardly played any football leading into the qualification period for Qatar and then was one of our most influential players during the World Cup tournament. And obviously that's what brought him into the shop window and won him his contract at Leicester City. But as you say, he was a bit rusty against Mexico. Uh, he was involved in uh, and scored the opening goal, but then uh, a couple of rusty moments uh, where there was some confusion with Matt Ryan in goal. So but just briefly, what, what does it look like for him to get back into the side? What, what would you say as, a, as an expert on the club and, and somebody who's had the chance to view Maresca and the club uh, and their performances so far at close quarters? What, what does he need to do? He needs an opportunity. He, he needs an opportunity in the League Cup. They're playing away at Liverpool. Whether that's an opportunity for him to come in because the games are coming thick and fast now. We're playing twice a week. Um, most weeks, um, you know, it's, it's a long, long season, the championship. So he just needs that, that opportunity to show Enzo what he can do. Perhaps Enzo saw something in pre-season and at the start of the season that, um, you know, he, he, he perhaps he was distracted. Uh, perhaps he thought his future was going to be elsewhere and then nothing happened and he's left. He's got to be reintegrated now into the squad and he's not alone. Um, but there's, there is, you can never say never um, it, it, at a football club. I mean, Yannick Vestergaard has come in and he's been playing um, regularly. I mean, he hardly featured at all last season under Brendan Rodgers. So, um, you know, they, these these things can change. And if he gets an opportunity to show what he, he can do, then, you know, he, he's uh, Enzo might have a rethink. But at the moment, I mean, I think he's got the backing of the fans as well. I mean, because there's a lot of question marks about Yannick Vestergaard and uh, they want um, they wanted Harry in ahead of him. But Yannick's got the shirt at the moment and has been performing quite well. So, you know, he's got to be patient now. So, Rob, uh, looking to the broader picture at Leicester, they were briefly on top of the league after the uh, 
a rout against a potential promotion rival, uh, Southampton, uh, on Friday night. Looked impressive. One name that jumped out was a certain Jay Vardy. He scored after 21 seconds. He's obviously still at the club. He's in the twilight of his career now. Is, is Vardy someone that Leicester will be able to go to the well this season? Can you see him having a 20, 25 goal plus campaign uh, for Leicester? And and is this his kind of coup de grace, trying to get Leicester back into the Premier League? Yes, absolutely it is. That That's his goal. I mean, there were offers for him in the summer. Uh, most notably, Saudi Arabia. He could have made a lot of money and gone and finished his career in Saudi Arabia. But um, he wants to stay at Leicester. He wants to get them back in the Premier League. He feels that it's the club that took a chance on him when other clubs wouldn't, you know, when he was uh, playing non-league and they spent a million pounds on him. And boy, have they got their money's worth out of him over the years, haven't they? I mean, he's going to be um, considered uh, one of the greatest to ever pull on a Leicester City shirt when he when he does finally hang up his boots. But uh, yeah, it was interesting this season because um, the way Enzo plays, it's very, very different. I don't know if you guys have been able to see any of the games over there because <clears throat> obviously the championships are a little bit different in the Premier League it's not access- as accessible but um, he's playing with a very different style uh, it's straight out of Pep Guardiola's playbook you know back four that becomes a back three in possession the right back becomes an inverted uh, full back he plays in midfield effectively <clears throat> alongside Harry Winks <clears throat> but that means that the number nine has to come in and drop deep and, and link play. And the two eights from midfield run beyond, get in the box, and they're, they're the goal-scoring threat. And he started with Kelechi Nacho playing in that role, and he is very well suited to that. He likes to drop, naturally likes to drop deep. It's not natural for Jamie. Jamie likes to be on the shoulder of the last defender, running in, running channels, being a pest. Uh, and this style of play is, is different for him. But I think you saw in the performance against Southampton that he can adapt. He can do that. He can link play. And also, he's a leader. And they haven't got too many of those in the squad. That's the reason they brought Conor Cody. And Enzo Mariska has been very public about that. He's a leader as well. He's somebody that the others look up to and um, admire. So, um, yeah, he's got a very important role to play. Um, whether he's going to get into the 2025 goal bracket, um, we'll have to see. I mean, as I said, it's the way this team is set up. The goals are supposed to be coming from elsewhere, from the two wide players and the two eights. Um, but um, I'm sure he'll be, well, yeah, I, I, he'll be pushing close to that, I hope, by the end of the season. Uh, but they've got to be careful with him as well because he is advancing in age as well, you know, and, and as I said, this this division is relentless um, with, with in terms of the games and the punishing uh, nature of those games as well. You know, Leicester do like to keep possession, which <clears throat> is easier for the players. But if you're chasing games and running around chasing, then you've got to do that two, three times a week. You know, he's going to have to be looked after a little bit by Enzo. So we'll see how we go. But that was a very encouraging performance at Southampton. Yeah. And just looking at the, the starting 11 and, and the wider squad as well, I know that Leicester or Sean have a few of their um, more reliable top talent uh, performers, whether it was James Madison, Tielemans, um, obviously. Johnny Evans went up to up to Manchester um, as well. But I was looking at that team sheet. Ian Acho, you know, is an international world-class footballer. Jewsbury Hall obviously still there. The fact that Connor Cody, Harry Winks have been um, brought in as well. How do you feel overall the squad is compared to the squad last season? And I suppose, unlike other teams that come down and shed a lot of star talent, I mean, this is a very, very strong Leicester squad, isn't it? Oh, it is for the championship, yeah. I mean, and I thought that was a real statement when they signed Connor Cody and Harry Winks, two England internationals. 
Uh, not exactly over the hill either. I mean, Harry Winks is 27, 28. You know, he should be in the prime of his career now. Connor Cody, 30. I mean, I did a England press conference recently at St. George's Park and uh, uh, Gareth Salgate was still talking about Connor. Um, so, you know, he's still very much in, in, in the mind of, of the England manager as well. So I thought that was an incredible piece of business to bring those two in. Um, obviously, in terms of um, uh, the technical ability of players uh, and the, the quality that they had, you, you're going to miss Madison, Barnes, Tielemans, top, top players, Sue and Shu. You know, they've all gone. I mean, I think it's 15 players have gone in total. Jose Perez, a lot of money that they spent on those players as well. And a lot of them went for nothing. So it's about £100 million that they spent recruiting these players. And they all pretty much all went for nothing, except for Barnes, uh, Castagna and Madison. So, um, you know, it was a massive overhaul, but it's an overhaul the squad needed because whilst they were all technical players, obviously the mental side of it, they, they were very fragile after relegation. And there could have been um, a, a danger that there could have been a lingering hangover going into this season. So they needed a fresh outlook, a fresh approach, some new blood coming in, some hungry players that determined to take their opportunity like Steffi Mavedidi, uh, somebody that's got feels like he's got something to prove in English football. Um, so and, and obviously at the helm with Enzo, completely fresh outlook. And he's had a clear out of all the backroom staff as well. Um, so it feels like a, a completely new start for the club and for a lot of those players. But there is quality in there. And I, without doubt, I confidently say that's the best squad in the Championship. And that will bring pressure that they will go automatically back into the Premier League. But yeah, that, they've got to be able to deal with pressure. Yeah, um, you say that yeah, they are definitely the best squad in the Championship. What I would say is looking at the Championship, it is a extreme, this is probably the strongest Championship I've ever seen. Like When you think about Middlesbrough down at bottom, I mean, they were nearly getting promoted la- last season. Uh, Millwall near the bottom, they were nearly getting promoted last season. Uh, Huddersfield Town, you know, Premier League pedigree, etc. Won't go through all of them, but this is an extremely strong league, isn't it? When you look at it, uh, you know, lots of former Premier League uh, clubs in there, recent Watford, West Brom. Um, but who do you think, you know, Preston are leading the way with a magnificent start, Ipswich Town are keeping up their amazing form from their promotion last season. Who, who are you looking at even at this early stage and going, that's the threat to Leicester City getting the automatic spot this season? Well, we said that with um, Southampton before Friday night and obviously they're on the back of two heavy defeats. The thing about the Championship is when you get on a run, because the games are coming so thick and fast, when you get on a run, a positive or a negative, it, you know, it, that momentum is very hard to change. I mean, you talked about Middlesbrough, they're on a horrendous run at the moment, um, but we know the quality they, they've got. But once you get in that run, that cycle of defeats, it's very hard to arrest it and turn it around. Um, but likewise, if you get on a good winning run, you know, it, it, that momentum can carry you a long, long way. Some sides have had a really indifferent um, start. Leeds, I, I would expect to be up there and challenging once they get themselves up and running. Um, as I said, Southampton, we thought, but that looks like that's going to take a bit of time. Norwich on Wednesday night, that's where Leicester are. They will be um, a tough prospect as well. So there's a lot of sides in there. You're right. And there's also big fan bases. I mean, we've got a situation in the Premier League now where, you know, you've got Bournemouth and Luton who haven't got very big fan bases, you know. Where, so where's the global audience for them? I know the global audience love the Premier League, the product, but I, I, I can't imagine there's going to be too many Bournemouth and Luton fans over. So what's a bigger game? Luton-Bournemouth in the Premier League or Leeds versus Sunderland? In the championship, I mean, those two clubs with huge fan bases, um, and there's some really big clubs in there. I mean, on, on the Midlands patch, 
you know, West Bromwich Albion, Birmingham City, who've got the um, Tom Brady effect now, Stoke City. You know, there's, there's some big clubs with big fan bases in the championship. Um, you don't get the quality on the pitch, certainly in the final third of the pitch. You don't, but the finishing sometimes is a bit awry, but um, you get blood and thunder. There's a lot of effort, sweat and toil, battles here, there and everywhere. If you like the old traditional English football, blood and thunder stuff, then you'll love the championship. I just wanted to go on a slight tangent, Rob, for my last question. I wanted to ask you about a former Leicester player, another centre-back who is uh, struggling to either get into a team or get out of the club, and that's and, and he's also called Harry, and that's Harry Maguire. Um, obviously played 60, 70 games for Leicester City, was integral in that uh, run to the Premier League title, was bought for big money by Manchester United. He became the captain. He was an England fixture. Now, all of a sudden, he's derided by um, fans, uh, you know, memes, all sorts of uh, posts going out there. Gareth Southgate made some comments today about how he just doesn't understand um, how, how, how this kind of could happen. What's, what's your sense on the Harry Maguire situation? You know, did, is, is, is it a case of, you know, he isn't quite up at that level at Manchester United. It just took a little bit of time to sort of for it to unfold or... Do you feel like this is a player that's been mistreated by Manchester United and their fans and now the wider fan base? And do you have sympathy for where he's at with his career? Oh, absolutely, I do. He's a lovely guy, is Harry. I remember, obviously, when he was at Leicester and my dealings with him, always polite, very popular with his teammates, a good player as well. He had a little tricky start um, when he first came in, uh, but he adapted and he learned and became integral. I mean, he became an £80 million defender. Uh, and an England international. I mean, he turned up at St. George's Park with all his boots and everything in a black plastic bag. He's so down to earth. You know, he's he's a million miles away from, you know, the, the, the stereotype of a Premier League footballer, all flash, flash cars, flash clothes and stuff like that. He isn't. He's very down to earth. And I just think this some of, the, some of the stuff now is just scandalous. It goes beyond saying we don't think he's a very good footballer. It's going beyond that. And I'll, I'll tell a little story about how he thought of... I mean, because the Leicester fans give him... Terrible stick. They still sing about him now in a negative way. Um, and that was when Sun Chu was at the club. The Sun Chu song had a reference to Harry Maguire, how they don't need him anymore. Um, but when Man United first came sniffing around Harry, uh, it was just after his performances for England in the summer. And um, he knew that they wanted him. But he signed a new contract because he was coming to end of his contract. He signed a new contract with Leicester. That effectively um, protected the club. Because this was a club that gave that rescued him from the championship when Hall went down. It, that so he did them a massive favour. He could have sat on that let that contract run down and gone to Man United for a lot lot less money, but he didn't. He signed that new deal. Obviously, he got a little um, signing on uh, bonus as well. But he signed that and that protected the club. Then they could then go and demand the money that they demanded off Man United for him to go because Man United were determined to get him anyway. So um, you know that that that's the and no not many players. Yuri Tillemans didn't do that. James Madison didn't do that. A lot of these players that have moved on from Leicester City have not looked after the football club like Harry Maguire did. So when the Leicester fans are chanting his, his name in a negative way, I do despair sometimes. Because if they knew, and I have said it many times, if they knew what he did for the football club, um, they wouldn't do that. But um, it's it just a really, really nice guy. And I actually think he's a good player as well. He doesn't let England down when he plays for them. He might not be the top, top level that p- people expect him to be for some reason. Um, but he certainly does a good job and he, and he gives his all. And I don't think you can ask any more from a footballer. 
there's a lot of copycat stuff that goes on in the terraces, isn't there, Rob? I remember when Manchester United came down to to Melbourne and played at the MCG, there were fans booing him uh, here as well. So, you know, they uh, they wouldn't have, have had a clue. Uh, mate, before we let you go, I'm, I'm just interested in asking one. Derek took a tangent on to Harry. I'm going to take a, a different one. Um, so you're a proper football man. You've had a career writing about the game. Uh, I really enjoyed in the off-season finally getting around to reading 5,000 to 1 and what a ripper read. So if you haven't got around to it, Rob's book about the uh, the 2015-16 season and the uh, and the postscript uh, uh, from the latest edition with the FA Cup in it as well is just an excellent read. Um, so, Rob, you know, you followed the ride. You, you went from the championship, you went up to the Premier League as a journalist. You talk in the book about uh, uh, about some of your footballing dreams coming true, uh, writing uh, for the uh, English national side, going to Wembley and things like that. What, what's the trajectory been like for you um, as, as uh, uh, someone who got quite used to writing about the Premier League and, 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 and being treated like a Premier League journalist uh, to be writing about the championship? Tell us... Your, yeah. your inside story, mate. Yeah, it's it's been it's been difficult to be honest to, to to sort of get back into that mindset really of you know the the grind of you know doing the miles on the motorways to to, to all these places like Norwich. I mean, we've got we're obviously in the Midlands. I'm, I'm particularly well uh, positioned, but you know we've got Ipswich and Norwich in in the east, uh, Swansea and Cardiff in the west, Plymouth in the southwest, Bournemouth, Southampton on the south coast, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. You know, it's relentless in terms of the travelling. Uh, and the and the games are, are coming thick and fast, but it's also the the um, in the Premier League, the eye of the world is on the league and on the clubs. Uh, you go to the press conferences and the loads of journalists. We go to the Enzo's pre-match press conferences now, and they last ten minutes because there's four journalists in the room. There's more staff from the club than there is journalists, so there isn't that focal point, which in some ways is a, is a positive because I'm probably one of the only ones that are writing about Leicester now in the in the in the in the Championship. But um, but also I think you know. It's one of those things where my obviously my employers will ask me to do different things now as well because there isn't the focus on the championship. So it's going to take a bit of adjustment. But um, oh, in all the 14 years I've been covering Leicester City, there's always been something. There's always been a drama. There's always a lot of promotion push, uh, you know, getting into the Premier League, staying in the Premier League, winning the Premier League, winning the FA Cup, European adventures. There's also been tragedy with the helicopter crash. And that I've had to write about that again recently because the report came out into the causes of that. So there's always been something that, um, that that happens, and this season won't be any different. I expect him to be covering a promotion charge from mm-hmm. Leicester City this season to get back in the Premier League, uh, where I think the club really truly belongs. And I hope they just use this season as a bit of a wake up call. They lost their way um, previously, um, perhaps became a little bit complacent that they were established in the Premier League because they were challenging for European football on a regular basis, but you can quickly get caught out in the Premier League as you can in the Championship if you take your eye off the ball. So they need to refocus and then hopefully... Um, I mean, I've never done a playoff final. Eh? Mm-hmm. That would be... That would be that would probably be the set, to complete the set, if they got up via the playoff final. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But I'd, I'd rather they did it the easy way and got up uh, automatically. Well, Rob, that might be the final chapter in the next book because I suspect uh, that that might be coming out if they do go up because uh, uh, it'd be a great read if it was, mate. Hey, Rob, uh, we'll chart it with you. Um, You've been with us all the way and as long as there's a box-to-box, there'll always be a call out to Rob Tanner from time to time. That's great. Thanks, guys. Excellent, mate. A good friend from... 
The Athletic, uh, formerly of the Leicester Mercury, uh, he covers the beat of the Leicester City Foxes. There's only one Leicester City Foxes. That is uh, true to 2015-16 story is one that you just couldn't uh, recreate, could you? So it was fantastic to talk to him. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. World Cup Corner next on Box to Box. Willa, willa, willa. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt's Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt's Spices, yeah. Now, if you love your food, and we love it, here. I had some wonderful chicken spiced up with the same salt, pepper, chili powder, garlic, cumin, smoked paprika, cayenne pepper. Remember I said last week that I had some leftover chicken? We did it again this week. So I was looking for something in the fridge to make for my lunch. So I put some a can of corn in there, some jalapenos, some olives, some croutons that I had, a cucumber, some avocado and tomato. But it just wouldn't have tasted the same if I didn't have all of those voice herbs spices in there to spice up that chicken because it was just absolutely delicious edge oh sensational do you have any spare bay leaves over there i need some over here because good puck one who works in my office made a big tub of uh, green chicken curry for me but it Ooh. has so many bay leaves in it the entire nation of thailand just has a bay leaf shortage so can you just Send a truckload over, please, Rob. I know where you can get them. You just go down to the Hillsville Sanctuary because Derek Dyson has got a he's got a food safe, and in that food safe he has an endless supply of bay leaves, don't you? I do. I, in fact, I actually regularly topped up my hoist. So I got to the end of my uh, plastic jar and uh, was able to go down uh, to Coles and I picked up a brand new, brand new jar ready to go for the next round of food for the year, Rob. See, because you listen to the ads, as I say every week, remember to refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs, and that's just what Derek did. You'll save some money, you'll get the best herbs and spices, and you'll eat delicious food, thanks to our good mate Johnny Accardo and all the Accardo family. You'll be happy with Hoyt's and Coles Waters and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah! Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Good chat with our old mate Rob Tanner there. We'll be talking to him again uh, on a regular basis throughout the season um, as, you know, well, let's just assume there's going to be a pretty good story to tell throughout the course of the season from the point of view of Leicester. We covered it in 2015-16. Let's see if we can't boot him back up again in uh, the current season. Now, it's about a month out from some pretty big matches on the international front for both the Socceroos and the Matildas. The Matildas prep for Paris uh, is uh, on in earnest in Perth next month. Their qualification but the Socceroos games against England and uh, New Zealand back-to-back, which we've talked about a lot on the show as uh, the uh, the Socceroos begin their 2026 World Cup qualifiers and, uh, and ahead to the Asian Cup campaign. Now, Derek, we've covered it a lot from an Australian point of view on this show, but it's 20 years on from that night at Upton Park where Australia famously uh, beat England 3-1 under Sven Goran Eriksson and England have beaten Australia, the Australian men since uh, in a 2-1 result at the Stadium of Light in 2016. But but um, from uh, Gareth Southgate's point of view, uh, he, he would certainly know plenty about the Australian side. They, they, they had a good run at the World Cup. They, uh, they had a respectable result against uh, Mexico recently, number 12 in the world. Uh, he's certainly not going to get sucker punched the way uh, Goran Eriksson did, knowing what it means for an Australian team in any sport to, to get a scalp of England. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, England, England, to be honest with you, 
they will come up against teams like Australia in major tournaments, and I think it's important for them to to be able to 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 have a game plan for these kind of kind of games. I I do feel like England England's biggest problem is against so called big nations. Like that's where they've come unstuck in these tournaments. So while this is a you know as good a friendly as you're going to get, because there will be some edge to it. You know, friendlies are friendlies are not a great thing overall uh you know the nations league has kind of cleaned up the friendly a little bit from an england point of view and there aren't as many of these um so-called dead rubbers or 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 games with nothing hanging on them of course a game against australia will bring out australian fans and diaspora obviously edge is going to be there with his uh green and gold army so there'll definitely be something riding on the game a little bit like there was something riding on the game um, for, against Scotland last week, England were quite comfortable away at away at, away at Hamden. So I think it's probably a prestige friendly. Um, you know, England will be up for it. Uh, I think they've got to also work out how to beat these big teams though, because ultimately England want to win these tournaments. And uh, yeah, the, 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 they'll they'll need to work out their game plan for the Frances and the Germanys. Uh, is that a good enough answer? Is that what you wanted to hear, Rob? Well, I don't know whether I, I I knew what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear your opinion, and um, and that's what I got. So uh, uh, sorry, Edge. Obviously, you know we need people to go with the Green and Gold Army. So let, let's take that back. This is going to be a ferocious game. This is going to be the game to go and watch. <laughs> You're in Australia. You need to get out there because England are going to be champing at the bit to uh, lay the the ghosts of Upton Park uh, uh, to uh, to rest finally. Hey, Adam, but, just edit that first bit out, mate. That's what. They- <laughs> yeah, nah. I remember exactly where I was. I was in a pub in London watching yeah. that game, and and probably you have told us that story before. And Edge was, was at the, the ground. ground. We've heard that yeah. story before, which we yeah, love. We have. I'm sure it'll be a cracking game. I'm sure it'll be a cracking game. I was talking to uh, a big listener of this show, Scott Vink. Here, he's the uh, the head of uh, the Melbourne Chamber of Commerce. I saw him at the uh, Demons Blues game on Friday night, and. He was lamenting that he wants to go on this tour, Edge. He wants to go away with green and gold. He wants to take his two sons who are desperate to watch Australia and Premier League football. And it's an amazing package you put together, but it's you can't take them out of school. So this is an appeal now. Scott, got to get your kids out of school to go on this amazing trip, package that Edge has put together, and, and the top it all off, go and watch uh, the Socceroos give uh, England a, a big a big game uh, in that in that one. Yeah, you only live once, don't you, Derek? But uh, there's four really key important reasons why these games for Australia are really crucial. Finding Aaron Moy's replacement as a defensive holding midfielder who can play forward with the ball is critical. Settling on that front third combination, we've got Martin Ball back into the mix now. Games for Harry Suter. We, you know, um, Rob Tanner talked about his situation. Harry needs games because Harry's going to be very important in the Asian Cup. And sifting through a new bunch of players who are pressing, um, you know that's why these games are important. That's why they are absolutely critical to the performance of the Socceroos. There you go. Well, you got all angles covered in the observation of that game. One thing's for sure. I know I'm going to be watching it. Um, any Australia England match uh, in any sport, I will watch and um, and and take regardless of whether it's a friendly. Great delight if we do manage to uh, get the chocolates. Okay, um, Perth in about. 
four weeks' time, is going to host the Paris Olympic qualifiers for the Matildas against Iran, the Philippines and Chinese Taipei. Now, it, it, this is an indication of just uh, the aftermath uh, the, of, um, of the success at the World Cup. So all three matches were originally meant to be played at the rectangular HBF Park, uh, which had been uh, uh, renovated for the World Cup. But the Australia-Philippines match on the 29th of October has been moved to Optus Stadium um, due to demand. So uh, that, that's that's quite incredible, really, especially when you've got three matches being played over the course of, uh, of, uh, of a week edge. Absolutely. And this is really interesting what's happening. Obviously, the box office gold that the Matildas are has uh, got that Philippines game moved to get a bumper crowded Optus Stadium in Perth. But it'll be interesting to see what this is the first phase of the Olympic qualifiers. So we're expected to sort of stroll through this without any problems. You would think the games against Iran and Chinese Taipei will be big, you know, there'll be cricket scores. But uh, the game against the Philippines will be competitive, you would think. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether Gustafsson gives anyone a rest. Some of these girls are going to need a rest. They've done some huge amount of work. And whether this is just a little bit too early for the group of players in the in the A-League women's who are there and thereabouts. There's obviously an important under-23 camp. Uh, they're playing uh, two matches in Italy. They've, they're, they're actually over there at the moment. Um, so there might be some players that, to, that emerge out of that that might get an opportunity as, as well as some frontliners in the A-League women's comp, which will have... Um, only just started. So, yeah, really curious to see what Gustafsson does, whether he brings them all back together or whether he gives some of them a break. Oh, my personal view, Rob, I don't know what you think. I think some of these girls need a break. Yeah, and, and you know, against, um, you know, nations, um, well, you never underestimate any nation in, in world football these days, but, uh, you know, he does have to keep the cycle um, moving and give uh, some of these younger players an opportunity to test themselves on the world stage. So probably as good an opportunity as any against uh, perhaps, uh, you know, a Chinese Taipei or, or even Iran. All right, boys, let's wrap it up. Um, we've got stoppage time to come a little later on in the week. Derek, uh, thanks again, mate. You're counting down the days before your trip. You, you leave in about two weeks' time? Yeah, two weeks' time, and we'll be on the big bird with the, the family going over there. And, of course, it's going to be a, a nourishing family holiday. But, obviously, as I've mentioned previously on the show, I'm very much looking forward to my first Arsenal mm. uh, home game in seven years, and we'll be playing Manchester City. So mm-hmm. I, couldn't have, I couldn't have picked that any better guys so yeah, yeah i'll yeah. be around around for one more box to box before i go excellent who are you flying with derek uh emirates emirates good stuff you'll enjoy the fight the good service of emirates and uh look out uh emirates stadium he's on he's on his way he's <laughs> on his way I've we'll got start and, and a beer belly and <laughs> all the things that didn't have the last time i was there so watch out emirates all right, boys, well then, Michael Edge uh, and Adam Maloney, who has uh, been producing, editing and putting this whole thing together and making it sound uh, as uh, good as it possibly can. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your favourite shows and make sure you subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside. Leave us a tweet at box to boss nts and follow us on x formerly known as twitter are we supposed to call them an x now or a tweet it's, it's all a little bit confusing we've got to get uh, the bloke who runs the show over there uh, to, to give some thought to, to how that all played it i'm not sure that he really thought that one through make sure you like us on facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game